0: Hello and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Shiroki, and today we are going to continue our look at the book of Galatians. In our last episode, we wrapped up chapter 2, and today we are going to begin our look at chapter 3. We're actually going to look at verses 1 through 9, My Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible, subtitles this section, Justification by Faith. Again, we're looking at Galatians because, well, several reasons. I mean, at first, you know, I wanted to look at it because of just how Paul really nails down the authenticity of the gospel of faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But as we've gone through it, we already see how the um, topic of legalism comes up and um You know, they do go hand in hand in a certain respect, if you think about it, because the Judaizers that Paul is basically addressing and confronting here are implementing um, basically old rules and regulations of the law and trying to say that they are part of the new covenant under Jesus Christ. And that's a complete lie. There's no no part of Jesus Christ has anything to do with anything we do. It's all about what he did on the cross. That's it. That's the pure gospel. We receive Jesus Christ by having faith that he is who he says he was. That is the Messiah, our Savior, the one who came and exposed the sins of the world and died for the sins of the world and gloriously resurrected and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. There is nothing additional to that. It's that simple. That's the pure gospel. The reason why people want to attack legalism and rules on to that gospel is to simply control other people. It's sick. It's perverted. It's not godly at all. And frankly, it turns a lot of people away from God. Some people call it religion. You can call it whatever you want. I can call it legalism more so. The more I spiritually mature and really understand God and His ways and get to know Him, the more I see that even the Catholic Church is just legalistic. It's People are confused by Catholicism because they call it the biggest Christian religion in the world. But in fact, it's the biggest false religion in the world. Catholicism teaches nothing but lies with A little bit of truth mixed in there basically the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ but what they do every Sunday with their mass is an absolute abomination when it comes to who Jesus Christ is Christ died once for all as the very first few episodes of this season address and as we were looking today in the Bible study I go to at my church There are several times in the New Testament where it's clearly stated that Jesus Christ died once and rose once and is now in his glory with the name above all names seated at the right hand of the Father. He did that. He accomplished that. So every Sunday when the Catholic Church, when they go and have their little, you know, breaking of Christ's body every week... And then the drinking, it, it, it's a—it's an absolute abomination against who God is. I'm not here to knock Catholics, but the reason why I address it is because it builds, that religion builds such a fear in people that a lot of those people who come out of it or want to come out of it, and by the way, they're encouraged to not even read the Bible. So what does that tell you? I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure out this whole control aspect that they're implementing on their... Um, their followers but <clears throat> a lot of people are scared to come out of it because they're so indoctrinated in these false teachings that they they feel like they need the church but we don't need any church as we're gonna look at today we're gonna we're gonna see we need one thing that's God that's it we don't need a church we don't need other people for that we don't need anything else we're gonna look back in Genesis and part of this study. And we're going to see how Abraham, and how he walked with the Lord. And guess what? There was no Bible for him to reference. There was nothing. But Abraham was one of the first saved individuals who put their faith and trust in God. And we're going to see just how significant that is as we study. Again, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. But we'll see who Abram, also known as Abraham, was. Why God made the covenants that he did with him. And why it's so important to look back at those things and times. And make the connection between what the new covenant is under Jesus Christ. Because throughout the whole Old Testament, they're looking for the Messiah. Sadly... The Jewish people missed the Messiah when he was here. Again, I think a lot of that had to do with peer pressure, um, you know, social conditions, uh, the falsehood of the Jewish leadership at the time. But sadly, to this day, they're still looking for the Messiah. That's how spiritually blind they are. And it's all biblical. God has put those blinders. He's put that veil over their hearts so that they cannot hear and see the truth. Just as God reveals himself in our hearts only by his spirit, there's a there's another side of that coin. He also can let hearts get hardened or blind hearts to his word. So <laughs> think about that. You know, that's that's quite a quite a real <laughs> quite a reality if you think about it. But he's not done with those people, but he's going to refine them in the end days and two-thirds of those people won't survive only a third will and when you look around at the uh modern jewish state a lot of the people that call themselves reformed jews for example are nothing more than just very worldly liberal people who completely shed the jewish religion and just embrace the jewish culture Uh, that's that's a fatal mistake and God will deal with them in his time just as he'll deal with the rest of the world in his time but glory to God we're still here and every day people are still hearing the voice of the Good Shepherd our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and they're coming to him and getting saved I'm content with my life here I'll tell you what every day I live is better and better every day I walk with the Lord he leads me through life he reveals himself to me his infinite entity the infinite being that he is the good good father that sits in heaven and um I have no rush to go anywhere God has recently put my amazing bride to be in my life the the woman that I've been waiting my whole life for um He has blessed me with her in such a tremendous way. I I really still am in awe every time I see her and she's with me. And I see an answer to years of prayer, decades of waiting, that she's right there, finally here in my life. So, as much as I want to be up in heaven with the Father and see all that He has for us, and to see my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ face to face and to have that Holy Spirit just reveal Himself in His form as well I also am very content with just enjoying every day that I'm blessed to spend with me Moore, with the love of my life with um, our children with our families, watching them grow up and it's an amazingly blessed time that You know it's funny how life works how God you know he really can let us go through things sometimes of our own doing and sometimes of just his process of sanctification and preparation for what he has ahead for us but we're gonna see again with his promise to Abraham also known as Abram because I just keep saying that because the verses, some of the verses in particular we're going to read it. he's called Abram so um, God changed his name eventually but we'll see that and um, again he is faithful God is faithful and to those who put his, their trust and faith in him he is our good father and he loves us there's one reason why he did everything that he did why he sent his son Why he created us to begin with. To have relationship and fellowship with him. See, that's the big difference between, like I mentioned, the Catholic religion and any other religion in the world. They can all be put under one banner. Religion. But there's only one who offers relationship with God himself. And that's Jesus Christ, his son. The savior of the world who died and resurrected for the sins of the world. He is our bridge to God. And if you know him, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you don't, I would highly encourage you to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. It's that simple. I heard some amazing testimonies this morning on one of my favorite podcasts. The Billy Graham Evangelical Association has an app, and part of that app is a, um, a subsection called GPS God People Stories. They're about 15 to 20 minutes long. And they are just amazing testimonies from people all over the world from all walks of life testifying to what God has done in their life. If you're not a believer and somehow you're listening to this, I would highly encourage you listen to those stories Listen to how God moves and works in every life that he touches. it's mind blowing. I heard stories about I heard a story about a guy who was in prison who got saved and then started a prison ministry and got the guy had two life sentences. He ended up getting out in, in years. Getting out. I mean, that's that's the that's a miracle right there. And then I heard another story about these women who started a, uh, a Facebook page, of all things. As trashy as social media is, and as much as I trash it, I, I will say there is could be some good that comes from it here and there, I guess. But um, they, they actually have a Facebook page that all of a sudden went quote-unquote viral, and now they have millions of people on this page praying for each other. It's just amazing. <laughs> and you know, it just makes me laugh because God just says to me when I, when he wants to do something, he'll do it. No matter what form or fashion or person or line of communication he chooses, when he wants to do something and move, it'll happen. That gives me a lot of hope for the world we see around us because right now, you can look at the circumstances around us, you can look at the media, You can look at the governments. You can look at the wars, the rumors of wars. You can look at the depravity, the death. You can look at the famine. You can look at the horrible weather that's happening. And it's easy to get discouraged. But always remember, God is in control of everything, believe it or not. He doesn't cause everything to happen because he doesn't cause any sin Nor does he cause any bad things. But he does allow things to happen. And the reason why he allows those things is because in his divine infinite wisdom, he works through everything. I don't understand it. It still blows my mind when I think about it. But what I can say is he truly does work through good, bad, ugly happy, sad he is always there amazingly I've taken a little time off recently because I've been really studying hitting the books for this exam I have coming up but you know God got a hold of me and said hey don't ignore what I've given you the gifts I've given you don't be too focused on one area of life I'm still praying, I'm still going to church Bible studies but you know I wanted to put, frankly, this podcast and recording on the back burner till I finished up my test. But God, you know, he's just amazing. He comforted me today. And again, he just reminded me, he's always been with me. He always was with me. He always will be with me now and in the future. And when I go to take that exam on Friday, he'll be right there with me. So let go of your fear, worry, and anxiety repent of those things and just let him work because that's truly God loves us enough to where I've been studying hardcore and I'm really, you know, feeling like I'm going to do pretty well on this thing. But at the same time, the bigger picture is that my mission in life is not about passing that exam. It's about conveying and communicating the gospel and love of Jesus Christ. It's about exhorting this word here, this living word of God, and using the gift of teaching that he's given me. And it's a tremendous blessing to do that and to share that. And again, he gave me the love of my life and she has lit up every area of my life. She's just, when I say perfect, that perfect is, is not not good enough to describe who she is but it's as close as I can get because I I literally literally excuse me if I were to sit down and write on a piece of paper everything I would want in a woman she's everything I could write down and two or three times more than I could ever even imagine so I just want to say thank God for her keep her safe keep her um family safe, my family safe, and um, without any further ado, let's start our look at Galatians chapter 3. Again, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9, where this is called justification by faith. Okay, and like I said, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, justification by faith. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you deceive the spirit by the works or excuse me, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospels to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you, all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. All right, so let's look at the notes here. And Paul, he's just, you know, he's addressing the Galatians because again, You know, he makes so many good points in that passage. But when it comes down to it, verse 2, where he says, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? That's the biggest flaw when it comes to religion and legalism. There is, we are brought to Christ by faith. So we walk in the Spirit by faith from there on out. And, go, and we are sanctified in the spirit of God, by the spirit of God, to be transformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And to think that there's anything we can do to kind of help that process is absolute foolishness. It, it makes no sense if you really understand the spiritual implication of salvation Of what Jesus Christ was here, what he did and accomplished in the spirit, to think that there's anything we can do, anything in the flesh, that is, except simply yield every area of our life to God. See, that's why people embrace religion and they embrace legalism because they're not fully yielded to God. They want to hold on to sin. They may not even realize it, but the sin they may just be holding on to is pride, ego, and the the um the Pride of Life, because a true follower of Jesus Christ is just that, just like he said to every one of the disciples, Follow me, That's one of the hardest things to do in life now, those of us who are really saved and know the Lord, it's easy to do that because we know that his way is always the best way he'll need it, he'll, he'll never leave us, he'll never lead us astray. He'll never, ever forsake us. We know that he is true to his word and he's he'll never lie to us and he'll always keep his promises. And part of that knowledge for me personally is the fact that I was such a sinner at a point. I was so backslidden at points in my life, yet he was always faithful to me when I wasn't faithful to him. He proved himself to me in ways that I can't even put into words. I can't even fathom or understand sometimes. But that's the process of sanctification. That's how you get from a, a prideful, selfish, worldly, fleshly person to one who simply follows Christ, walks in the Spirit, and puts all, all of our trust and faith in him. He, he needs to have that room to work. He, he is God. Let him be God. When we try to take up these things or these rules or these religions, we try to make ourselves God. We try to say, well, God, thanks for the, the cross, but that wasn't good enough. I'm, I'm also going to do this or not do this. How insane is that? To say those words out loud makes no sense at all when it comes to the things of God. So let's look at the notes here for again Galatians 3, chapters 1 through or chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, and then we'll go from there. Paul begins the defense of his gospel by reminding the Galatians that their Christian life, which began with faith in Christ crucified and was certified by the gift of the Holy Spirit was altogether apart from the law. They would be foolish to abandon God's way and try to reach perfection by their own efforts. And right there, I mean, when we become saved and then God gives us his Holy Spirit and fills us with his Holy Spirit, that is the power to living a godly life. But again, People don't want to yield, yield to the spirit of God. They want to hold on to whatever it is they think is going to make them a better person or fulfill whatever it is they think they're going to fulfill. And when you quench or shut out the spirit of God, yo, it's a fatal error, both spiritually and physically and, and in this very world. Because that is just asking for a whole lot of trouble that you want nothing to do with. Trust me when I say that. Alright, picking up in the note here. The Judaizers are like evil sorcerers, diverting their victims' eyes from the cross to the law. However, the Galatians are without excuse, because Paul had made clear to them the meaning of the cross. The Jews regarded Abraham as their father and the source of their spiritual blessings. They believed that simple physical descent from Abraham made them righteous. Paul shows that Abraham pleased God by faith and not by doing works of the law, since the law did not even exist in Abraham's time. He further insists that the true children of Abraham, and thus heirs of the promised blessing, are those who live by the principle of faith. Amen and hallelujah. Keep in mind, we're going to go back and look at some verses in Genesis. And, you know, it's insane when you think about it. But Abraham didn't have the law. He had nothing but faith in God. And look at how tremendously, first off, God loved Abraham tremendously. And he blessed him tremendously. Why? Simply because Abraham placed all of himself and all of his faith in God. Because he knew God was the only source of true life that was out there and the only life worth living. Just like we know now, since God himself, the, the son of God, has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. We saw him. We see him now, we see him in this living word. We hear him in this living word. We can touch him in this living word. We have all we need. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the living word that we can look at and and understand who God is. From Genesis to Revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ himself. And the father is just sitting up there working his amazing plan. What what an amazing picture it is. What an absolute amazing, mind-blowing picture it is. All right, we're going to quickly flip back to, or flip up to the truth in action section here at the end of Galatians. We're going to look at section two. It's called Key Lessons in Faith. Faith accepts God's testimony in a trusting, childlike manner and salvation as a free gift. The law was given to lead us to Christ. Thus, any use of the law as a means of earning our salvation is a distortion. By nature, mankind presumes to seek salvation by works. It seems an offense to the flesh to believe we cannot. But God's word says it is an offense to him to believe we can. Amen. That's what I just said, and that's the truth of the Holy Spirit. We offend God when we think we know better than Him. We offend God when we think we can handle spiritual matters on our own. Do you know why it's an offense to Him? Because He equips us and has given us everything we already need to cover those bases, if you will. So why it it's it's as it's redundancy, it's not even it's foolishness. I can't call it redundancy because it's evil to think that you can do better than God. That's that's borderline blasphemy of the Holy Spirit right there. And look, you know, when when we sometimes say we'll be surprised who is and isn't in heaven, I I can understand. Some of the people that will be surprised that aren't in heaven because religious people, hypocrites, people that put on an act, people like this. They thought because they were descendants of Abraham that they were entitled and were righteous, made righteous by their bloodline, essentially. And that's not the case, not the case at all. Abraham was a man of solid faith and love and trust in God. And he is one of the ultimate testimonies because, I mean, how amazing is it? He had no reference points. He was the first, really the first. And we'll see how he was the first to offer a blood sacrifice to God. He he was obedient in every way. And the picture of Abraham when he has Isaac and he takes him up and he, he he's ready to sacrifice him to the Lord, that's a, that's a picture of what God did with his son with his son the sacrifice for the world, shed blood. It was pretty cool today in a Bible study we were talking about the tabernacle, and we were talking about you know the pattern that God showed Abraham in Exodus to make um, the tabernacle down here, which would eventually be the temple. And it's amazing when you see the copy or the blueprint that God gives uh, Moses and he does make the tabernacle, but keep in mind that everything that Moses made was given to him by God and shown to him by God. But the authentic tabernacle is actually in heaven and the authentic blood that is shed and, and that covers that tabernacle is the blood of Jesus Christ himself. Powerful stuff. Absolutely mind blowing. I can't wait to see that tabernacle. I pray that we can have access to that tabernacle. God is just, he's really humbling. He's very awe inspiring too. Ooh, man. All right. That was the truth section at the end of Galatians. Now we're going to look at the action. Do not change, amend, distort, or add to the gospel. Know that severe judgment awaits those who do. Understand that justification through observing laws or codes is impossible. Receive God's gift of justification through faith. Understand that you died with Christ so that Christ can live through you. Understand that it is just as impossible to maintain your relationship with God through works as it was to earn it in the first place. Amen. Perfectly said. That's exactly addressing the verses that we're looking at. It, that That's actually specifically for chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. But again, understand that it is just as impossible to maintain your relationship with God through works as it was to earn it in the first place we all know that we're called out of this world nothing we did got us to this point when we become christians it, god's spirit called us our ears were open our eyes were opened our heart was opened to the lord at a point in our life and we said yes lord i accept you as my lord and savior why would we think after all that, that amazing process, that we can do anything in the spirit? We can. So we should not even, that's one time, <laughs> don't even waste your time trying to do that because it, again, it's, um, it brings severe judgment to those that do. As one who lived under legalism for a couple years, I've experienced that very judgment. It's a very um sad place to be because although my heart wanted to serve God, that legalism and those rules I was trying to implement in my life, they caused me to have struggles that I just it just were unbelievable, really. But by the good grace of God, he has brought me through many, many things in life including that. And it's all for his glory, because now I can reference back to that and testify and help other people that might be caught up in those things as well. Picking up with the action section here, understand that God intended the law to lead his people to Christ. Continue walking in faith carelessly, or excuse me, not carelessly, continue walking in faith ceaselessly. Recognize and believe in the certainty of victory for those who endure to the end. Amen and hallelujah. All right, so we're going to flip back to Romans. We're going to look at Romans 2, or excuse me, Romans 10, verses 16 and 17. This is related to Galatians 3, verse 2, and Romans 10, again, 16 and 17. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Looking at the notes for that section. In God's ordinary means of operating, people do not come to save to excuse me, to saving faith unless they either read the Bible or have someone tell them the gospel message that is in it. It is the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to awaken a response of faith within us. And it is the reliability of the word of God on which we rest our faith for salvation. The words of scripture are the words of eternal life. This is why preaching the gospel is absolutely necessary. Amen. All right. So now we are actually going to flip up to Hebrews, and we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 15 to 19. And this specific passage here kind of references back to Galatians chapter 3, verse 4. So again, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 7, look at verses 15 through 19. And this is discussing the need for a new priesthood or the need for the priest, the priest of all priests, the priest above all priests, that is Christ. And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Amen. Looking at the notes for that section, the Greek word here for another is not alos, which means another of the same kind, but heteros, another of a totally different order. The priesthood of Christ supersedes the Levitical priesthood. The first covenant proved weak and useless in providing either full access to God's presence or full fitness for his company. Therefore, it had to be annulled and a new and better hope introduced to succeed where it had failed. So again, you know, the law exposed sin to the Israelites, the Jews, God's people. Jesus Christ came and exposed sin to the entire world through his perfect life lived. So The way he revealed sin wasn't by walking around and pointing a finger. He revealed sin by living a life perfect and to the letter, every letter of the law. And by him fulfilling all of the father's purposes and living that perfect life, then he was our sacrificial lamb, our spotless lamb, who was hung on that cross he conquered sin and then after dying and then god raising him from the dead the first fruits of the resurrection he conquered death absolutely amazing that that plan (laughs) i'll tell you i mean the reason i chuckle is because it's kind of funny when i sit and just look at that plan i mean no one else could have come up with that except God himself. The divinity that is in that plan, the amazing, and again, like it says, I mean, nothing, the law was weak and useless when it came to providing full access to God's presence. Because remember, even in the tabernacle, yes, God's presence was there in the Ark and the Covenant, but Only one high priest was allowed to go into that area once a year. And that was after an extensive cleansing process, including full cleansing of the flesh, um, uh, the uh, full cleansing over with the altar of incense. And then finally, and then with the sacrifices, then he would be allowed access for who knows how long to that special place with the Lord. But the amazing thing about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the amazing thing is we are in God's company when we accept Him. Again, not because of anything we do, but because of everything He did. And we are clothed in not our own righteousness, not our own foolish self-righteousness that comes from religion and legalism, but true believers are clothed By faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why we have full access to the Father. That's why we can call him our good, good Father. That's why we can call him Abba Father. That word is basically like saying, Daddy, Daddy. I never had much of a father here on earth, but he has been in my heavenly father, has led me through life. I can't wait to just thank him for all he's done and all I know about and all I don't know about in this life and to think that he does that for each and every believer he's he is so good at the end of this episode I'm going to read a little Facebook post I made earlier today because I just feel it was just very inspired by the spirit and I just I um I really think that it's uh it's important especially at this time because The world's getting darker. It's getting getting more godless and godless as the years go by and as I get older, but (laughs) there's a duality to life and to the spiritual realm. The darker the world gets in this realm, it seems like God is just revealing himself in more mighty, mighty ways to his people. And I do believe we're gonna have a final revival, a global revival where God is gonna reveal himself mightily. And I also do believe that towards the end, there's gonna be this renewing of supernatural occurrences that people are gonna witness. That, um, you know, people can look back at the Bible and say, you know, we see accounts of different manifestations, different supernatural events. And people just basically blow it off and don't believe it. But I believe God is going to show the world that all that stuff is true through a renewal of the supernatural kind of coming out into this physical realm the way it did back, you know, in the days of, well, biblical times in the beginning. Um, Right now, I believe this age of the church is... One uh, key to this age of the church is the fact that we as believers, we have never physically seen our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, yet he's the realest thing that's in any of our lives, which is, that's just a mind-blowing reality right there, but it's the truth. I've never seen him, yet he's more real than anything else in my life. That is amazing. And that's what every believer can say and hold on to. And uh, his word and his promises, again, they don't come back void. He doesn't make them and not fulfill them. So he has said he's going to return and come back. And you better believe he is going to return and come back. And um, I just pray that people are ready for it. So, all right. What we're going to do next is look at in verse 4. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? That's Galatians 3, 4. And I want to flip back and look at that word suffered. Because in Acts, there's a good little word wealth. uh, My Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible. It does some breakdowns of different words in the Greek. Um, You know, same thing as a strong uh, concordance would do. But this word suffer here means pascao. Compare passion, passive, pathos. Being acted upon in a certain way to experience ill treatment, roughness, violence, or outrage, to endure suffering, and to undergo evils from without. Pascao asks the painful question, what is happening to me? Of the 42 times it appears, it is mostly used of Christ's suffering for us. So, you know, Christ, you know, one thing I mentioned the Jews earlier, how they're spiritually blind and they missed the Messiah when he was here. One reason for that is because they believed that Jesus Christ, when he came back, was going to be a military Messiah, if you will. <laughs> you know, he was going to come back and overthrow the Romans and... Um, establish his kingdom here in this physical realm they completely missed his point of being here the first time that being to conquer sin and death to fulfill the law so as he fulfilled the law um, they again they totally missed him but his suffering his obedience unto death again is the perfect example for everybody who comes to know him and gives their life to him. And then we become his slaves, his bond servants, and we give all of ourselves to the father and are made into the image of him, his son, Jesus Christ. That's the process of sanctification right there. That's what we go through over here on this earth. And who knows What happens when we get to heaven? I don't think we're just all, um, who knows? I I can't say. It's exciting. Exciting to think about. But, all right. We're going to look at the the Galatians 3, 5 next. And I want to look at the word supplies. Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? That word supplies is... Epi-core-ego. Epi-core-ego. It means a combination of epi, intensive, and corego, to defray the expenses of a chorus. The word thus means to supply fully or abundantly, generously provide what is needed, to cover the costs completely. It is used with the strong connotation of great and free generosity. Paul is chiding the Galatians for regressing to the beggarly elements of legalism, which he contrasts with the abounding surplus of God's provision through grace. Amen. Again, when it comes down to it, how foolish is it to think that we can do anything that God has already done? That's why it's such a great offense to God when people basically say don't worry god i got this (laughs) how foolish just to say those words are it it sounds like utter foolishness but you know uh, a lot of it comes down to spiritual blindness pride ego a lot of it comes down to pride and ego people just don't want to give up you know their ridiculous you know perception of themselves for some reason i i really can't fathom it but It is a reality and it's one that leads people down some really dark roads and um, some, some, you know, opens them up to some really tough times. So, all right. So I promised to get back to Genesis and we are going to go flip back to Genesis. We're going to be in chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 18 where this is basically God's covenant with Abram. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is a leaser of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring." Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Amen. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Shaladans, to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all those to him, and cut them in two, down the middle, and placed each piece opposite the other. And he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. Also, the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, You shall be buried at a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it shall come to pass, when the sun went down, and it was dark, that, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. All right. So that's that's God's covenant with Abraham. Pretty amazing stuff. God actually walks through those severed animals with a burning torch. Wow. All right. So let's look at the notes for that section. Then we'll go from there. This is one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament because it depicts the establishment of the Abrahamic covenant, a covenant ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Childless is the word often used to describe God's closing a womb in judgment. How does this reckon with the promise? Is Abram's complaint? The culture permitted a senior slave to become heir of a childless man. Abram's silence was his way of giving credence to God's word, believed. This resulted in a legal reckoning accounted to him for righteousness. This statement is quoted twice by Paul and once by James. It is the basis for the New Testament teaching that God's way has always been responsive trust in his word which then produces right living, through faith again. God is setting the stage for a covenant-cutting ceremony, almost exactly as was done in contemporary cultures in the Near East. Biblical as well as major secular covenants were established in blood. While Abram was in a deep sleep, God informed him of the future, 400 years the fourth generation. These statements appear contrary, but they are apparently to be understood in different contexts. 400 years is an approximation. Galatians 3.17, which we're going to look at, counts the 430 years much the same from the establishment of the covenant with Abram. Such a date, such a dating appears more reasonable, placing these events about 1870 BC, assuming the dating of the Mosaic Covenant at Sinai to be 1440 BC. The four generations of verse 16 were Levi, Kohath, Amram, and Moses. The Amorites represent all the inhabitants of Canaan. God's judgment must await its perfect timing. During a most dramatic scene, God humbled Himself to accept the role of the inferior party to this covenant. In the ancient Hittite suzerainty covenant, a puppet ruler, the inferior party would walk between the bleeding pieces of split animals, taking an oath of loyalty to his superior. May the gods do so to me, and more also, as I have done to these animals, if I do not fulfill the terms of this covenant. Here, the Lord voluntarily made himself lower than Abram for the establishment of the covenant. This dramatic act prefigures the precious gift of his own son, who condescended to die on a degrading cross for all humanity. A smoking oven and a burning torch. A figure of speech. A hand in I needs where one noun modifies the other, so that not two, but a single blazing fire, the Shekinah himself, passed between those places. The Lord was the promising party. God's oath was unilateral, unconditional, with no requirements demanded of Abram as his part in this mighty covenant. Abram simply believed, The the Abrahamic covenant is the Old Testament model for the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Amen. And then I mentioned that that first sacrifice there is exactly that. So let's look at this section, this kingdom dynamics section in my Spirit-filled Life New King James Version Bible for Genesis chapter 15, verse 10. The first blood sacrifice covenant, the blood. The direct requirement of a blood sacrifice as the means of establishing covenant first appears in this episode, and God's instruction to Abraham. The animals to be offered were selected, cut in halves, and arranged in proper order opposite one another. The covenant parties then passed between the halves, indicating that they were irrevocably bound. Together in blood. The cutting in halves of the sacrifice spoke of the end of existing lives for the sake of establishing a new bond or covenant. The sacred nature of this bond was attested to by the shedding of life blood. In this instance, only God passed between the pieces, indicating that it was his covenant. And he would assume responsibility for its administration. Present in this account of covenant making are three essential ingredients. One, a bond that originates from God's initiative. Two, the offering of a blood sacrifice as a requirement of covenant. And three, God's sovereign administration of the outcome of his oath. Amen. So just like salvation the very first covenant God makes with Abraham is it's all him. He is assuming, he's taken on all the work and all the burden. All Abraham has to do is have faith. Just like right now, when it comes to salvation, there is nothing more we need to do than simply believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. Put all of your faith in him, and let God do the rest of the work. That's who he is. He proves that from the very first covenant he makes with man right there. (laughs) Be still and know that I am God. Let him be God. Don't try to be God. Don't try to implement rules. Don't try to make religions. Don't, don't Pervert the gospel, as Paul talks about in the beginning of Galatians. That's all that he's addressing. And you see the nature. This is what I mean when I say God reveals himself through his word. Who would think that you could look at a letter written by Paul to a church thousands of years after something happens and see the exact same character of God That was making a covenant, the first blood covenant, with one of the first, really the first guy who had faith in him, fully had faith in him. I mean, the consistency of of God is absolutely incredible. That's why he says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is, he was, and always will be. Cool. Powerful. Amazing. God is so good. He is so good. All right. So let's look at. um, Now we're going to flip up to John chapter 8 and we're going to look at a verse that kind of uh, relates to Galatians 3 verse 7. Again, we're looking at John chapter 8 verse, picking up at 37 through 58. This is subtitled in my Spirit filled life, New King James Version Bible, Abraham's Seed and Satan's i know that you are abraham's descendants but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you this is jesus speaking i speak what i have seen with my father and you do what you have seen with your father they asked they answered and said to him abraham is our father jesus said to them if you were abraham's children you would do the works of abraham but now you seek to kill me a man who has told you the truth which i heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, and he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear, because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do not say rightly, excuse me, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory There is one who seeks and judges, excuse me, one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets are dead? Who are you, excuse me, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say, I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. That's one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible, because... Jesus is going back and forth with the religious leaders at the time. He knows what's coming. He knows it. But he's declaring who he is (laughs) without saying who he is. And it's only by having open hearts and the spiritual eyes to see and ears to hear that they would know who he is. Like he says, most assuredly I say to you before Abraham was, I am. They knew what that meant. That was a very significant thing for him to say. So let's see. Let's actually look at the, um, the kingdom dynamic here for that verse in my spirit filled life. New King James Version Bible, divine healing, never outdated. Jesus' critics challenged his miracle ministry, his integrity, and his spiritual purity. Their resistance was not unlike that which often is raised today against the present reality of healing miracle ministry. A foundational answer to such doubt is found in Jesus' assertion to his critics, before Abraham was, I am. Christ's answer ties all facets of his person and ministry To his own unchanging timelessness. This is a timeless message for us today as well. Jesus is not the great I was of yesteryear, but he is the great I am, the same yesterday and today and forever. Some confine miraculous healings to biblical times, but church history annuls that theory. Nothing in scripture ever indicates that there will be any diminution in the work of Christ or the New Testament church during the whole church age. Jesus said that his church would do greater works than he had done because he was going to the Father. Jesus healed through the power of the Holy Spirit and the same Holy Spirit is still operating in the church. Amen. And hallelujah. That's why I always say, you can never, ever say that God hasn't given us all we need. Because the very same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus Christ when he was here on the earth is in us as well. And Jesus said, we'll do greater miracles than him. It's just having that faith. I'm going to have that faith. I I commit to that. So let's look at the note here for, again, that verse, um, John chapter 8. Verse 58, before Abraham was, the verb ought to be translated, was born, indicating that Abraham's life had a specific beginning. This stands in sharp contrast to Jesus' self-claim, I am. In other words, he was without beginning, the ever-present one. Amen and hallelujah. Again, God in the flesh, standing there, right before them. Declaring exactly who he is with no hesitation for good reason because he was who he said he was and he is who he says he was. He is Jesus Christ, the son of God, one third of the triune Godhead who always was, always will be, and is today. All right. Looking at uh, a verse that, a little passage that relates to Galatians 3, 8 next. We're going to put back again to Genesis. We're going to be in chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 to 3 this time where it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, excuse me, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So let's look at the word. Um, We're going to look at the word "wealth" for families, and then we're going to look at some kingdom dynamics for that specific section. So that word families is mishpotach, mishpotach. A family of people, a type, class, or kind of people, or things. A species of animals, a group of related individuals, a tribe, or a group of related things, a category. The main concept of mispochach is that people, animals, or things that share a kinship or similarity of a kind form a family, clan, or species. Thus, its scope can be a, as narrow as an immediate family or as broad as a whole nation. Genesis twelve one to 3 indicates that God separated Abraham from the idolatrous family in order to make him and his descendants the messianic nation, which would bring salvation to all earth's families. Hallelujah and amen. Again, if you really look at it, the faith of one man is all God needed to bless the nations with his son, with salvation. The faith of one man, that's all he needed. And why God chooses to work through us, well, that's his call. I I stopped questioning that a while back, but... Thank God that he does. And um, we, we should value humanity more than we do these days. And people should value each other more than they do these days. I think one of the worst things that's happened to our society is just the coldness and the, um, the, the, the rough way people treat each other. At the end of the day, everybody just wants love. No matter who, who you are, no matter where you come from, that's really what people want is simply love. And I'm talking true love, love that really only Christ offers. That's why he is the answer to everything. All right, let's look at the kingdom dynamic for, again, those verses. God's heart to prosper his people. In this passage, God promises to make Abraham great. And God this did bless Abraham in many ways including material blessing, see 13, 1 and 2, where we see how Abraham was made very rich. See also, 24, 35, where Abraham's servant reports that the Lord has blessed my master greatly, and then enumerates the material blessings that God had given to Abraham. The dynamic of this historic fact becomes pertinent to every believer today. In Galatians 3, 13 and 14, God promises to give all believers the blessings of Abraham, telling us that Jesus became a curse for us so that we might receive the blessings of Abraham. This begins, of course, with our being born again or becoming new creatures in Christ Jesus. But the blessings of Abraham involve other things as well. The Lord wants us to prosper spiritually, emotionally, and physically, and materially. The blessings are ours by his promise, and we need make no apology for the fact that prosperity is included. Amen. So again, we're not here for material goods, but God will open the windows of heaven and bless us, however that may be. You know, it's not always materialistic things, but if it is, so be it. Be a wise steward of everything God blesses you with, be it financial, be it time, be it profession, be it a place in life, be it position in life, be it power, be it whatever it may be. God's blessings come in many, many different ways and many different forms. The important part and what ties it all together is being a wise steward of it. And giving it all to the Lord and letting him guide and direct you in how to distribute those things that he blesses you with. Alright, and looking at the second kingdom dynamic here. Prototype kingdom person. Abraham is shown in both Old Testament and New Testament as the prototype of all who experience God's processes of seeking to reinstate man through redemption. First and foremost... In his relationship to God by faith, without works, but too seldom—excuse me—but too seldom—is the second facet of redemption noted. Abraham is also shown as a case of God's program to recover man's reign in life. Abraham is designated as the father of all who walk his pathway of life. As such, he is God's revealed example of his plan to eventually reestablish his kingdom's rule in all the earth through people of his covenant. Through Abraham, whom he wills to become a great nation, restoring rule, and to whom he chooses to give a great name, restoring authority, God declares his plans to beget innumerable children who will be modeled After this prototypical father of faith, this truth is confirmed in Romans chapter 4, verse 13, where Abraham's designation as heir of the world parallels Jesus's promise that his followers who humble themselves in faith shall also be recipients of the kingdom and shall inherit the earth. Amen. All right. We're going to finish up in Galatians chapter 3. And we're just going to look and read one more time. Verse 9. Where it says. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So again. We are blessed. With believing Abraham. That means the same blessing. The same inheritance promised to Abraham is promised to all who believe in Christ. And I can tell you genuinely and fully that I truly believe I have the greatest gift in the world. That is salvation in Jesus Christ. You really can't fathom the security and the hope that that places in each and every one of us, our lives as Christians. It, it is the greatest thing we could ever have. And that's why Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and all things will follow. Because when your focus is on that kingdom and his ways and his will, everything else just falls into place naturally. There is no will better than God's will for your life. Not your own, not your parents, not a spouse's not your children's, not your bosses, not your, and no one else's. No one's will is better for your life than God's will. I can promise you that. When you have the creator of all you see around us, lighting each step you take in your life by his Holy Spirit, when you have that, what more can you ask for? There's literally nothing more that this world, uh, that's why I laugh at the cheap things this world has to offer at this point. They're meaningless. They're, they're garbage. They're absolute garbage. I, I want none of it. Do I enjoy a nice car? Sure. Do I enjoy good food? Yeah. Do I place my faith or do I love those things? Uh, absolutely not. Can I go without them for the rest of my life? Absolutely. Because I have security in Christ My spot is secured in eternity. And once you have that, you don't, everything else pales in comparison. So that's going to conclude our look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. I have one more little quick bonus section, like I said. So stick around for a quick couple of minutes. So until then, until I come back with my rest of Galatians... God bless and have a great day. So before I totally close this episode out, I just wanted to look at one last thing. And again, this is just something I posted this morning. And um, I don't know. I just want to share real fast. So Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I see many people who are awed by God's creation, yet they don't believe in the Creator. Whether they're checking out the depths of His creation in the depths of space via the latest telescope, we're admiring His creation here on Earth. It's easy to be awed by God's creation because it's mind-blowing. Whether it's observing a flower bloom, or the life of a butterfly, God's mind-numbing ability to create all that we see around us is amazing. When I see His creation, I see a Creator who is infinite, one who has no limits, one who always was, is, and always will be. When I see a bee collecting pollen from a flower to transport it to their colonies while also pollinating the plants below it, I see a Creator that is brilliant beyond anything we can fathom. When I see ants working together to build their underground chambers, or a raft to survive a flood, or carry a piece of food two or three times their body weight, I see a perfect design by our Creator. When I see far off galaxies in the depths of space, I see a divine creation that was assembled by a Creator who has no ends. I choose to believe in a Creator as opposed to man's theories. That Creator is the triune Godhead comprised of the Father, Son, and His Holy Spirit. God foresaw man's inability to save himself from the evil one, so He sent His Son to expose the sins of the world and die for those very sinners, so that whoever calls on his name shall be saved. Just like his perfect plan of creation, he had a perfect plan of redemption. Why? Because he loves his creation, humanity, and wishes that none would perish, but that all will have everlasting life through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you Lord. Oh, oh,